Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, if you looked outside, you wouldn't believe it, but we really are in the season of winter. Now, even we Southern Californians are aware of this fact when, you know, people are driving home from work and it gets dark before you even leave the building. Um, not all of our projects get finished before the light begins to fade and sunset approaches. Um, I'm barbecuing by flashlight. It's not pretty. We turn on the porch light a lot earlier than we will in a few months. That being said, most of us, I need, most of us, guilty as charged, not, have packed away the Christmas decorations. But I think most of us can think back a month to picture the sources of light that illumined our holidays. Roaring fireplaces, usually gas now, but a fireplace. Candles on the dinner table, especially when having company. Lights on the house and lights on the Christmas tree. The decorated orange plaza with the lit tree, the menorah, and the lights above the streets. Our sanctuary wreath and garland and the candles we lit each week of Advent and on Christmas Eve. We heard the scripture from John's Gospel about a month ago that light came into the world and that the darkness has never been able to overcome the light. We've imagined the epiphany star that led travelers from far off land to come and worship Jesus. I find myself cracking a smile and just getting kind of that warm, fuzzy, reassuring feeling, just remembering the light, even on the longest night of the year. Now, light's also important for our mood and our emotional well-being. You know, many people, some of you may even have the special lights that they have for people with seasonal affective disorder, people who are seriously affected by the lack of sunlight in the winter months. Also, for people who are in offices and spend way too much time under fluorescent lights, they're being encouraged to get outside into natural daylight at least a few times during the day. And face it. There is sometimes nothing better than a not-too-hot, but sunny, bright day. It just makes everything better. Now, we also depend on light to keep us out of danger. Anyone who has attended church camp, wayfarers, yeah, um, scout camp, or has even gone camping knows that a working flashlight is worth its weight in gold. And batteries are a priceless commodity. Night lights keep us from tripping over our own shoes at the foot of the bed. The flashlight app on my phone, um, you didn't see during um, this little light of mine, we had flashlights going up there. It was pretty cool. Um, but the flashlight app on my phone was a godsend several times when we um, had, the pa had power outages. In the middle of the night, just it was wonderful to be able to, okay, go through, check things. Light keeps us on the path. 
keeps us on the winding mountain road, and it keeps us out of trouble. We know what's ahead, and we can recalibrate the GPS if it's necessary. Light is also important as it exposes the spiders and other shady characters that lurk in the corner of the garage. We know that well-lit public spaces make it more difficult for the shady characters who don't have our best interests at heart. We feel safer when we can see things and we can assess our environment. Sneaky and questionable activities are not like plants that need light and grow toward the light. They avoid the light at all costs. Also, when I visit an art gallery or a museum, I quickly become aware of how the right lighting enhances the viewing experience, whether it be natural light or artfully placed light fixtures. And then you go to a concert or a play and the spotlight brings your attention to the action on stage or the soloist at a concert. Light can focus our attention on things of beauty and it draws our eyes to what is important. We thrive in the light and we suffer in its absence. I've twice enjoyed listening to a children's Christmas cantata, Bearers of the Light. And both times that I heard it, I did find my mind wandering, guilty as charged, but I was thinking about people in history who were bearers of the light. And in looking towards you know, sharing on UMW Sunday, it really brought to mind a lot of our foremothers in the faith, people who brought light into darkness, those early missionary societies and ladies' aid groups that we now know as the United Methodist Women. They were bold and courageous in their efforts to bring the light of Christ to persons in parts of the world that were unfamiliar, but so in need. And as Sylvia shared with you a year ago, 150 years ago, a small group of New England women were hosting some missionaries that were on furlough, and they were having tea with a couple of the missionaries' wives. And they were horrified at what they heard. These women brought witness that the women in their part of the world could not receive medical care. There were doctors, but it was against custom for a male doctor to treat a female patient. So these women were in dire straits and where simple medical procedures could make a world of difference. Well, this group, and you could tell that they were early United Methodist women because they started writing letters before you know, being able to use a computer or a telephone. They wrote letters, and not just locally, but to Methodist societies all over the country telling them about the plight of the women in this part of India and soliciting funds. And they did some crazy fundraising because um, within four months, they were sending a female doctor and a female teacher to minister to the physical and the spiritual needs of women halfway around the world, a place that none of them had ever visited. And the first women's college started by that teacher and the first women's hospital, started by that doctor, 
first ones in Asia are still in operation today. Our UMW foremothers were also dedicated to shining, oh, not just a flashlight, but a mag light, into places where injustice and discrimination were lurking in the shadows. The late 1800s, as many have studied history and some of our own family, um, was a time of increased immigration in the, into the United States due to famines, religious persecution, and just abject poverty. Such a rapid influx of persons arriving on our shores was not met with cheers and hurrahs. Um, in fact, it was alarming to many. So, so many of these immigrants were not welcomed with open arms. And a major problem was that a lot of these immigrants were single women coming with little money, very little English, and there was such exploitation of those women after they made such a perilous journey. And there were few resources, little English, and that the police were kind of turning a blind eye to the shady practices going on in their midst. Well, some United Methodist women, Methodist women before United, um, opened a mission house for these young women some were mere girls, to have a safe haven while acclimating to the challenges and the opportunities of this new country. Well, moving forward into some of our lifetimes, or just before, 1951. Discrimination and inequality were still trying to hide in the corner of the garage. Nothing to see here, move along, nothing going on. And Many in power had a deep investment in keeping those facts out of the equation because their power would be threatened and um, other folks would have an opportunity if the truth were to be known. Well, a delegation from the women's division of the Methodist Church went to a, a lawyer, her name was Polly Murphy, Murray, and they asked her to collect data on separate but equal schools and the exact wording of the laws of the individual states. As we know now, schools were definitely separate and definitely not equal. The findings were published in a book called State's Laws on Race and Color. And this book was a resource to the Supreme Court of the United States in their decision in Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. It's Methodist women. Now, notice I did not say that they were always popular because we know that injustice thrives because someone or a lot of someones are benefiting from depriving others from equal treatment or just what they're entitled under the law. Bringing the light of Christ into shady activities threatens those who depend on the cover of darkness and secrecy in order to prosper. And those first rabble-rousing Methodist women had no idea how many feathers were going to be ruffled over the next 150 years. To better the lives of women and children meant that the people who were benefiting from the exploitation of women and children were going to lose some power, lose some control, and those folks would not be at the mercy of those in power. Now, United Methodist women continue to be bearers of the light at home and around the world. 
They bring light and comfort to ease heavy burdens. They bring the light of healing and education to lift up those who have been downtrodden. They shine a spotlight on people who are doing the work of Christ through their publications, such as Response Magazine, through some great little cartoons they have on their website, um, and articles that are published and distributed through the United Methodists Women's website. And I encourage you to take a look. Um, just this last week, several hometown newspapers have published stories about the umbrella defense of prayers, public awareness, and intervention from local UMW units on behalf of the victims of human trafficking. And these victims, timely enough, are practically trucked in during major sporting events. There will be United Methodist women folks outside Levi Stadium assisting the organizations who work to identify and assist the vulnerable individuals. Not so popular with those who turn a blind eye to the situation because it's bad public relations for the venue or for the NFL or for those who are profiting. United Methodist Women also shines a spotlight on mission needs and provides in-depth education at an event called Mission U, formerly called the School of Missions. And then for several years, our conference also held a co-ed event that was called Mission Possible. Through a very convoluted set of circumstances that I will not go into, I ended up teaching for several years at that event. Um, I worked with um, adults, leaders of children and youth because there were mission studies for young people as well. Oh, we had a lovely time. I learned how to make Indian samosas and fry bread, Native American fry bread. I forgot what else, wheat crafts, you name it. Um, but just being exposed to some of the culture of another country. And just as people experiencing Mission U today, there are three different sets of curriculum. There is a biblical study. There is a study of a country of focus for the year, and there is a study of a social issue. And the goal was that leaders would be equipped to share the light of Bible study with their congregations, an in-depth understanding of issues facing our sisters and brothers many thousand miles away, as well as a hard look at the intersection between social issues and our Christian faith and ethics. My eyes were also open to the depth of the work supported by the offerings, shameless plug, um, given by the UMW for ministries at home and abroad. And I also received more than just a little nudge um, in my own life towards service outside of the local church, both in teaching English um, to folks um, trying to obtain citizenship and working in family literacy in conjunction with a public library. Now, there's so much more that I could say about UMW and how they bear the light of Christ in their care for their fellow members through prayer for our missionaries, in equipping individuals to bring light and assistance to those they encounter in their daily lives. Just this last month, learning about the resources available for families with a member um, suffering from dementia, Alzheimer's, um, just ways in which we can be helpful to others as well as our own families. 
But UMW Sunday isn't just to celebrate the 150-year legacy of bringing light into the places that needed it the most. We're here to pre prepare all of ourselves to take the light outside of the sanctuary and into the world. Because we know Jesus, we carry his light with us. And we tend the light inside of us just as the worship crew takes care of the candles so that they're ready to burn brightly when lit. We are not like the foolish virgins in that parable that Jesus told who didn't keep their lamps full of oil. They weren't ready when it was time to shine. We ourselves remember to bask in the light of scripture and in prayer, drawing close to Christ so that no one's gonna it out and that we are ready to burn brightly with a trimmed wick and fuel to spare. Because we know Jesus, his light burns inside of us, which can be inconvenient or embarrassing when we're trying to just be cool, fit in, and really uncomfortable when someone's telling insensitive jokes. Sometimes we may try to hide that light under a bushel basket or just by keeping quiet, especially when the light of truth might not endear us to the jokester or the person in power. Jesus says that we are like a light on a hill, like a beacon or a lighthouse. And I was thinking to myself, well, you put a bushel basket, you know, really big one, over a lighthouse, uh, people perish. So because we are bearing his light, we are bringing Christ's saving love wherever we go and to whomever we serve, all around the neighborhood, or all around this world of ours. Our next hymn is our prayer, to bring the light of Christ to our daily lives and the larger world around us. Let us be part of the next 150 years of bringing the light that can't be overcome. <laughs> 